Hey, murder lovers. My name is Mackenzie. And I'm Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. We would love it so much if you would leave ratings and reviews, preferably on iTunes. But if you don't have iTunes, you can also leave them over on our Facebook page. Thank you so much. This story is of Ashley Benson. And not no, Ashley Benson from Pretty Little Liars. Not Pretty Little Liars actress. Because Correct. she's alive. Correct. Anyway. So this is a- Ashley. Ashley. <laughs> you say it like me. <laughs> so this is the story of Ashley. And I will preface this that there is not a lot of coverage on this story. So my main source of information was snippets from local news, Coin6, and my biggest source of information was a show that Oxygen put out on it in Ice Cold Blood. Okay. That is hosted by Ice-T. Did you watch it while you were sick? Yep. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, while I was sick, guys, I completely indulged in just laying down in and out of sleep with snapped and other marathons running in the background it was awesome <laughs> um not soothing for all but for me that's my cup it's of basically tea. like rain yeah <laughs> i am that meme that was like i can go to sleep with someone saying someone was murdered and so and so, and so. oh yeah and it's that woman that's like has her hands crossed like <laughs> yeah. sleeping so soundly that's me and i'm sorry if there's sniffling or um coughs it's because i am on the tail end of a cold so we we're allowing her life happens um so i had to i had very limited resources a crazy ass case that i couldn't believe wasn't on any of the pedias so it wasn't on wikipedia it's not on murderpedia but luckily you know, we pieced them together. We got everything together. And so here's her story. So Ashley grew up in Montana with her mom and her mom and dad were divorced. Her dad was living up here in Portland. So around the age of 13, she made the decision to come and live with her father and her stepmother in Portland, Oregon. Ashley was a pretty girl who had a lot of friends, always had friends over at the house And at about two years of being here in Oregon, she naturally began dating. She found herself in a pretty serious relationship right away with a boy named Marlon. And by the age of 17, they had had their first child. Although she had hopes of going into college and pursuing other career goals, at this point they had to slow down and be parents. Her and Marlon moved in together to try and raise a kid and to have this family But like many young couples, they didn't survive this period because of the amount of stress or responsibilities that they have. Mm -hmm. And they had a relationship where they always argued. They always fought over small things. And it didn't last too long of them living together. Eventually, they separated. And Ashley was the primary caretaker for their son. Ashley decided to get a job and wanted to be a providing, loving mother for her son. She got a place just for the two of them and was making things work financially. At this point, Ashley was giving her child a nice life, but like any young, pretty woman, she started dating again. Her family knew that she was dating someone, but didn't know exactly who. But eventually her family came to find out 
that she was dating a guy named Marcus. Her mother recounts on that Oxygen show that on a particular night, Ashley called in panic, asking her father to come rescue her from her apartment because Marcus would not let her out of the bathroom, had locked her in. And even though Ashley's father spoke to him and asked him to let her go, he wouldn't. So her father called the police, and he also made his way over to her and was able to get her out of that situation. Not only do the parents not know much about Marcus, but right off the bat, this is the type of impression they have on him. Okay. It's very apparent that Ashley was in an abusive relationship with Marcus. I don't know exactly where the kid was for this specific situation. Mm -hmm. Based on future accounts, it's probable that the kid was with the father that weekend. Looks like they shared weekends or whatnot. So this is where things are going to speed up a little bit. By a little bit, I mean a lot. Okay. So on Christmas Day, on the Christmas morning of 2004... Ashley went to her father and stepmother's house early in the morning to give them Christmas presents. But it was a quick in-and-out situation. Her boyfriend, Marcus, was outside waiting in the car and didn't come into the house. Awkward. Right. You don't do that. Not on Christmas. Grow up. The mother asked what their plans were for the day, and because I'm sure she was probably going to invite them you know, for a a dinner, lunch, something. Or she's just, you know, making talk with her daughter. Right. And, well, they hadn't seen her much. She didn't come around too much. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the rare occurrences where she did come over. and Right. um, Especially for a holiday. I'm sure the mom wanted to Yeah, she's like, so instead of spending Christmas with your family, what are you going to do instead? It's probably exactly how the question was posed. Yeah. So Ashley said that since the son was spending the night at his father Marlon's house... That her and Marcus were going to keep it pretty low-key and were planning on seeing a movie and just kind of hanging out at the house. Okay. So that's what she told her mom she was doing on Christmas Day. The day after Christmas, Uh on the 26th, Marcus reached out to Ashley's father and stepmother and asked them if they had heard from her because he was starting to get worried. Mm -hmm. The family, of course, starts calling Ashley's phone texting her but when they call her it's going straight to voicemail her stepmom said that ashley's phone would often not be charged and so alarms weren't going off in her head immediately because she said that sometimes ashley's phone would go dead and then a couple hours later after it was charged up again she would return a phone call or a text saying you know here i am or what have you So, of course, her family was still going to try and reach out to her, seeing that someone else had concern about her. So they even tried reaching out to Ashley's friends and seeing if they knew anything about her whereabouts. No leads there. While the family is trying to locate Ashley, completely unassociated, so we think, Portland police across town gets a call from someone at the Doubletree Hotel in front of the Lloyd Center. I know where that is. Yeah, right? That's exactly what I said when I heard that. I was like, oh, I know exactly where that is. I know exactly where that is. Caller advises that there's a female laying unconscious in the fire escape stairwell. Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to try and describe the stairwell as much as I can. 
it's not a stairwell that's for common use for the people that are mm-hmm. staying at the hotel. It's more for fire escape or for people that are housekeeping. I don't know. But it's right. not... It's a cold... It's not a high traffic area. Right. It's yeah. steel railings and concrete walls. It's not pretty. It's not part Chipped of the hotel. White paint. Right. Yeah. Nothing fancy about it. When the police get to the scene, there's a female laying on the ground facing up. There's no blood anywhere around her. She is fully clothed. And she's not wearing any shoes. And something really odd that one of the detectives luckily noticed was that she had acrylic fingernails on. Same girl. And... They're fully decked out for Christmas. So fresh set. Fresh set of Christmas nails. The right hand is completely intact. The left hand has four fingernails broken off. She a lefty? I don't know. Okay. But broken off right at the top. Not completely ripped off. Either way, painful as fuck. Okay. Right? Yeah. The pieces of the broken fingernails were not laying anywhere near her. Okay. So the police immediately knew that this was almost a secondary scene. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have been... This is the dump site. Right. The police inspected her just visually, and like I said, there was no blood anywhere, and she was fully clothed, but what they did notice was red marks around her throat. There's no cameras in the stairwell. There's no cameras at this hotel. The detectives had to start at square one, and that was trying to identify, first of all, who this body is. They did not know yet that it was Ashley Benson. Okay. So the officers, being that she was, you know, on a certain floor, they started looking at the immediate floors in that area canvassing every room eventually canvassed the entire hotel no one's answering and you know one, no one has any pertinent information no one saw anything the detectives go to the front desk and they're talking to the people at the front desk asking them if they remember Ashley checking in they say no they don't remember her walking in or anything with anyone but the only thing and it's a big thing that did stick out to one of the people at the front desk was that that morning, there was a female calling in repeatedly into the front desk asking to be put through to room 715 because she was trying to check in with her friend who was supposed to be there with someone named Chris. Hmm. That's the only thing that they have to go off at this point. They ask that who, you know, they ask if there's someone still occupying that room And right at the same time, one of the housekeepers comes to the front desk and lets them know that it seems that whoever was in that room, 715, has been checked out. One of those checkouts where they just leave their keys on the table and left. They didn't go to the front desk and properly check out. Right. The front desk gives them a full name. It was rented by Chris Yoon. The hotel was very cooperative. They let the police in. And because the person, whoever was renting that room, had voluntarily checked out, the police did not have to get a search warrant. Because at this point, it's a public space. 
interesting loophole. Right. So right away, they still took in the proper people to secure the room mm-hmm. because they thought maybe this is a room that could lead to some answers. Right. So they took in the forensic team, were taking pictures, were taking samples. Now, it's worth mentioning that there was not much worth noticing. The room was relatively still clean, not too much of a disarray other than the bed not being made. There was pizza box in the trash can. And as one of the detectives got on the ground, they noticed that there was a piece of fingernail underneath the bed. Now, this fingernail that they fa- that they found, she had accent nails on some of her fingernails, but on Me too. her <laughs> on her pinky and her index finger, they were solid red. So it had to belong to one of these. Okay. And if you know acrylic nails, they're not part of you. No. So there it couldn't have been positively identified as hers through DNA. It had to fit almost like a puzzle piece for it to be right. like positively identified as hers. Right. With that piece of evidence, the one piece of fingernail, the detectives know that they're on the right track. The detectives go back downstairs to try and get a little bit more information from the front desk about the occupant, Chris Yoon. Come to find out that the person that checked them in said that Chris came in on Christmas Eve and had nothing on but a backpack with him and said that he had a reservation for the 25th and the 26th and he was wondering if he can get checked in early. Of course, they checked him in early. They accommodated him. Other than that, there was nothing out of the norm with him or anything else worth noting. Okay. And he was by himself. He was absolutely by himself. Okay. The detectives asked them for their phone records to the room. So they got a quick subpoena for that. Mm -hmm. And one of the calls that was made out of room 715 was to a phone number for a website called Backpage.com. Backpage.com was a website where escorts could advertise their services to potential Johns. Yeah. This website is no longer standing as of April 6, 2018. Backpage of newspapers and magazines used to be used for soliciting services. Oh. So that's so the, the digital one? Out. Yeah. Got it. That's cool. All right. So at this point, the police go back to their headquarters and start using the software that they have available to try and find who this Chris Yoon guy is. Right where he's from, what his potential connection could be to this dead body. And they still haven't identified her yet. Not yet. Okay. And this is all happening the day of. Okay. The 26th. Because they did say that he used an out-of-state ID to check himself into the hotel. So as they're doing their investigation at Portland Police Headquarters... They get a call from the front desk lady at the Doubletree Hotel, and they're advised that Chris Yoon just checked in. What? Yeah. Checked back in? Uh-huh. So, of course, the police... I know, right? Super fucking nuts. And you should see the detective on this on Oxygen talking about her reaction. She's like, let's fucking go. Yeah. <laughs> like, dropped everything that they were doing on the computers, and they rushed over to the hotel again. Yeah. And as they're in the lobby, the front desk lady points out that the person coming out of the elevator right now, that's him. So the police immediately apprehend him and let him know that they want to take him in for questioning 
for a crime that had been committed. They did not tell him exactly what it was. Right. Chris was completely blindsided. Mm-hmm. He seemed very surprised. He did not know what the hell this was about. So when they take him into the interrogation room and they let him know that they want to talk about something that happened on Christmas Day, he tells them that he spent all of Christmas Eve and Christmas Day with his family in Bellevue, Washington. For geographical purposes, Bellevue, Washington is approximately three hours away from Portland. Exactly. And that he and his fiance had made the reservation at the Doubletree Hotel a couple months back, knowing that he'd be coming into town to do a DJ gig. So they had this vacation plan, and both him and his fiance were down from Bellevue, but was adamant that he was he spent Christmas Eve and Christmas Day with his family. Okay. He was very cooperative. He was willing to give his fingerprints, his DNA. The detectives called a lot of his family members and verified his alibi, and that he was with them on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and there's a lot of pictures of them all together for those two days. Okay. Which completely ruled him out of being in the vicinity of Portland on those two days. This is weird. (laughs) This is why I love this case. There are so many twists and turns. All right. Stolen identity. I'm calling it now. Calling it now? Yes. The police are probably looking just like you are right now. Completely Mm -hmm. floored, flabbergasted about what's going on because... They're like, what the fuck? This doesn't make we any sense. Yeah. have you in front of us, but we have proved that you were not even in the area. Yeah. So, seeing that the room had been rented to a Chris Hune, mm-hmm. they were asking him questions like, has your identity been stolen recently? Right. Do you have anyone that would be using your name or information to get a hotel room in your name? Do you have any reason why or who? And... They even go as far as fetching a really far away net and saying, do you know anyone else with your name? Mm-hmm. He thinks about it. First he says no. Then he's like, wait, I do. Oh my gosh. How did I miss this? God damn it. So you he said told that. told me that this is going to happen. <laughs> in his apartment complex in Bellevue, there is someone also named Chris Yoon. I'm sorry. There's two of them that live by each other? And is the only difference is that they spell their last name different. This is so, wild. Yes, they are pronounced the same. They live in the same city. They live in the same apartment complex. And they, yeah, they, it, it's fucking nuts. So what are the odds of that? The good Chris Yoon, the DJ. The good one. <laughs> is Y-O-O-N and... The evil twin, I guess, is Y-O-U-N. Literally That's the only crazy. difference. crazy. So the police ultimately release Chris Yoon, the good one, <laughs> as a suspect and let him go free because yeah. he's been completely cooperative and they were able to rule him out. Yeah. And now at this point... You know, the police have to figure out if this is just one hell of a coincidence or if there is someone trying to frame Chris Yoon. Yeah. You know, so the detectives ask for Bellevue police uh, for their assistance to go check out the second Chris Yoon in the same apartment complex as Chris Yoon. (laughs) 
<laughs> gets a little repetitive. Yeah. Sorry. So we'll call, well, I don't know if we can call them something different. For the most part, from here on out, when I say Chris Yoon, I mean the... Chris Yoon too. Chris Yoon too. Got right. it. The, and so while they have that going on there in Bellevue, Portland police go back to the hotel to see if there's any other information that can give them a new lead. Because at this point, the second Chris Yoon is still not a solid lead. Mm-hmm. So they realize that they haven't found any of her personal belongings of this deceased person. So they start scouring through every inch of the hotel. During their search, they go into one of the common areas where the ice machines usually are. It's usually a little outlet. Yeah. And it has an ice machine and a vending machine. And as they're going through that area, they find a purse that's stuck behind the vending machine. As they go through the items, they find some cash receipts, regular trash you keep in your bag, I guess. Um, You know, hair ties, bank cards. But of course, they find a driver's license that belongs to Ashley Benson. So it's at this point that they were able to finally identify the the deceased female in the stairwell as Ashley Benson. And also... Having her name, now they can cross-reference the Backpage.com page or advertisements and found her pictures on that website as well as now they know that there was a connection to whoever was staying in that room on Christmas Day. Oh, boy. Because now they know whoever called Backpage probably called her. Right. On that same day of December 26th, So this is all happening really fast. Really fast, yeah. Um, Ashley's family was notified that her body had been found deceased. Oh, wow. I'm sure that was a lot for the family to process. Same day, go from missing, maybe she'll call me in a couple hours, to. I wonder if that's... I mean, you hear so often of this happening and the families just have to wait and wait and wait and wait, but they get, like, maybe some hope in all of that. Right. But, like, to go from not even sure and, like, do we panic to, like, just having your world ripped uh-huh. out from under you? Yikes. Yeah. So, the family is informed of the details in regards to Backpage.com. hmm And they, of course, had no idea that Ashley not. may have been doing this type of work. Right. The police asked the family for information about any men in Ashley's life. Or any information on anyone that could give them more insight about Ashley's background and and what she had been doing. The family could only come up with two names. And that was her son's father, Marlon, and her current boyfriend, Marcus. Oh, yeah, because I forgot that she's dating somebody in the meantime. Mm -hmm. Yikes. So they were able to rule out Marlon right away. Yeah. Since he was out of town on the day that the murder occurred. So Mm -hmm. he wasn't even in town. The police went and talked to Ashley's friends, and in particular to the one that was calling the hotel that morning, Mm. asking to speak with room 715. And she told police that she was aware that Ashley was doing some escorting, and she didn't know exactly to what extent Marcus was involved. But she knew that Marcus knew. Oh, he did? Okay. 
But her knowing that Ashley was doing escorting is why she was checking in on her that morning. Because she hadn't heard from her. Because she hadn't heard from her. Okay. So they went to talk to Marcus next. Mm -hmm. He was very cooperative. He let them into the apartment that him and Ashley shared. He let the police walk around and look without a warrant. They asked him about his whereabouts on the day that Ashley was murdered. And he said that he did drop her off at the hotel. Okay. He was aware of her being an escort. They had coordinated that she would call him when she was ready to get picked up. Okay. He didn't know, though, because apparently this has happened before, if it would happen the night of or the next morning. The call. Okay. To go pick her up. Got it. What an interesting relationship. I didn't know that this was a term used for a certain type of pimp. I, in my head, I was thinking he's pimping her out, but I decided not to interject. No, and that's okay. The Oxygen Show categorized them as a Romeo pimp. Gross. Where he would make it seem like they're in a relationship. Yeah. But really, he was just had a say in when and where she would go provide services. Yeah. They detailed about how these Romeo pimps not only make it seem like they're in a relationship, but they use a lot of terminology that make it seem like they're in it together. Mm. Like, we need to pay the car bill. We need right. to pay rent. We, But really, we as you going out and getting money, I'm going to sit here on my ass. And it sounds like they're exclusive. Like, it's not like he's right. running a gang of girls. It's Exactly. Just his one girl. Just the one. So Marcus did tell the police that he knew of Chris mm -hmm. and that him and Ashley had had a relationship for some time now, a little over a year, and that Ashley financially gained from that relationship. There was reports that she was not only getting money from Chris mm -hmm. as a, a payment, but also gifts in clothes and shopping sprees so the usual right so she was getting paid i guess mm -hmm. one way or another from this chris guy right so now that they have someone else backing this chris theory mm -hmm. um the day after that on december 27th the police is now trying to track down chris yoon bellevue police go knock on his door but he's not there they're working on getting a warrant at this point, but they don't have one yet. They track down where his parents live, and they go to their house, but they haven't seen him either. That same day, the police is notified that Ashley's missing phone has pinged. Remember, that was not part of the contents in her purse. Okay. And the location of the ping was coming near the hotel where the body was found. Okay. Your eyes right now. I know. <laughs> the police send out search and rescue to look for Ashley's phone. And they find it in a trash can that was about a block away from the hotel. The phone was still on. Weird. Right. So this leads me to believe that on the morning of the murder and, Christmas, and the day after Christmas... When her family was texting, calling, trying to get a hold of her, it wasn't going straight to voicemail because the battery was dead. It was getting side buttoned or decline calls were getting declined. Yeah. Manually. So whoever killed her 
and disposed of the phone later, had the phone... Was screening her stuff, too. Exactly. Okay. In her phone dial and her phone log, they found the number for Christian. They yeah. also found emails and texts from Chris to Ashley. And it was very obvious that Chris wanted a relationship, and she didn't. He wanted to be Ashley's boyfriend, but she told him, I have a boyfriend. This is business. Oh, so he was like, oh, okay. Chris would give her substantial amounts of money, and this is all recorded through texts and emails, that he would give her $1,500, $2,000, and one time even $5,500. Whoa. And it's also reported that Chris was not happy about knowing that there was another man in Ashley's life Mm -hmm. and wanted to be the only one. And again, Ashley just saw him as a client. Now, having all of that information in the phone completely pointing to Chris, the police is able to get a search warrant for his cell phone and they get a ping on his phone number. They were expecting the ping to be somewhere in Washington. The ping was in Portland. So he's still around. He was still in town. At another hotel. The detectives head to the hotel and get a subpoena for his phone records of that room and see that he's already called someone on Backpage.com again. Wow. Detectives knew at this point that Chris used public transportation, like trains and buses, to get back and forth from Bellevue to Portland. The Portland detectives called the local train and bus station to see if they had anyone under his name or any on any of their rosters for future rides. So if they see if they had mm-hmm. purchased a ticket. And lo and behold, he had tickets to get on that train later that same day. So they knew that this was kind of his... M.O., and he would come into Portland, order pizza, call an escort, go back to Bellevue. Do they not have this in Bellevue? I don't know if like, he... why did you have to come all the way I don't know why he that. had to come here. I don't know if Such it was... a long trip. Kind of maybe building that disconnection. I have no idea. I mean, I know we have a lot of strip clubs, but... Well, more. I mean, he in his eyes, he was kind of maintaining a relationship with Ashley mm-hmm. because it was it's fair to say that they met more than right once or twice so he probably was coming into portland to see her mm-hmm. why he came back and did the exact same thing, thing yeah. is i don't know okay so knowing that he was at an area hotel the detective went back to the hotel and as she was pulling into the parking lot she sees that Chris is getting into a taxi. She quickly goes into the hotel and talks to the doorman and asks if he knew who the taxi cab driver was. And not only did he know, but he does her one better. He calls the taxi guy and says, hey, tell me or let me know when you stop and where you stop. So once they stop, the taxi driver calls the doorman a couple minutes later, and says that they stopped at the Doubletree Hotel at the Lloyd Center. So back at the scene of the crime. Right. The taxi driver calls a doorman again a couple minutes later and said that they're driving again and that this time they're on the way to the train station. Okay. The detectives think 
that Chris went back into the hotel for possibly one of two reasons. One was to go and revisit the scene of the crime and get that high again. Mm-hmm. And the second reason possibly was to try and figure out or get the purse that he had ditched but didn't know had been found already. Oh, yeah. Because it was a quick in and out. So it sounds like maybe he knew exactly where to go, didn't find it, came back out into the taxi. Mm-hmm. Because the police were already aware that he had a ticket to get back on the train to Bellevue. They were already waiting there for him. Mm-hmm. And they apprehend him as soon as he comes in. And he says, how did you find me? Not the typical response from someone who is not guilty. Definitely not. So they take him into an interrogation room. He does admit seeing Ashley and says that she had a very high temper and that they had an argument and he left. That's Mm -hmm. it. Left her there, saying that he left her there alive. That's weird. At that point, he asked for a lawyer. Yeah, I'll bet. Right. I'm going to play you a little clip of him in the interrogation room. Ooh, okay. I knew Ashley from when she was uh, posting on that page. I am not really good red lady sometimes. So what he says on there is... I knew Ashley from when she was on back, uh, posting on Backpage and stuff. And, I, you know, I'm not really good with the ladies sometimes. Not and really good with ladies sometimes. The second part is that he's still talking about their relationship. So he... I called her, you know, for services. And, and that's how we met and, you know, established a relationship. So I knew her quite well. So, so he says that he knows her quite well. Right. And he wants to establish a relationship. No, he said that they did establish a relationship. Oh, okay. So in his head, in his mind. They were together. They were together. They were boyfriend, girlfriend. And for, you know, in his head, he's thinking Ashley's maybe almost cheating on him with this Marcus mm. guy, with this boyfriend. So uh, you can see in the video that he's very soft spoken and he sounds like almost, he has an accent. Uh, probably. Okay. And he's um, kind of a recluse in his own world, mm-hmm. and he doesn't get out much, and it sounds like he just doesn't... I, I'm, I'm going to go as far as saying he doesn't have many friends, or... Needs a little sunlight in his life. Uh, right. Yeah. So he... he <laughs> he's a hermit. Yes, he's a hermit. That's a very good way to put it. And... Tim, this was a relationship. So the theory of what happened that night, because he never confessed to anything, or I guess never gave a confession, the theory that the Portland police have put together is that, you know, he once again asked for a relationship that night and Ashley again said no. So that is what triggered him, and that was, you know, what overflowed his cup. I don't know if the holidays had anything to do with it, mm-hmm. but, you know, he was he was going out of his way right. to come and, and visit and putting all this effort in, not only emotionally, but financially into this quote-unquote relationship. Mm-hmm. So we don't know exactly what happened that night, but the theory is that 
you know, he was triggered by one thing or another and attacked Ashley. Obviously, by her nails being broken, we can tell that maybe she fought back. But we don't know that for sure because I couldn't find anything about any markings on him. But it would take some substantial force to break off some damn acrylic nails. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot. So well, all four of them, all especially. four of them. So I don't know exactly how we don't know how that happened, but yeah. eventually we don't know if it happened in the room or in the stairwell. Mm-hmm. But she died of strangulation. Mm-hmm. That was her reason of death, and maybe he was trying to get rid of the body, but didn't have the strength to bring her down the entire flights of stairs. Or she threw a punch and broke. Maybe. Yeah. But as far as leaving her in the stairwell, though, oh, yeah, sorry. he kind of just ditched the plan of getting her out of the hotel and yeah. doing anything with her body. So he just kind of ditched her in the stairwell and obviously tried to hide some well, evidence by putting her if bag took a behind train, the vending machine. If you took a train and a bus... He doesn't have a car to put her body into. Right. So the point is just to get her out of the room. He panicked, I'm yeah. sure. So he, as far as why or how he knew, so I will say this, the first Chris Yoon and this Chris Yoon were not buddy-buddy, were not friends as far as we can tell. So it's not 100% known how the bad Chris Yoon knew of the first Chris Yoon's reservation and that he was coming down to Portland. Yeah, that's a weird, weird coincidence. Weird coincidence, especially knowing that he was going to other hotels anyway and putting his name. So it's not like he was using, you know, Joe Smith's reservation and trying to completely take someone else's identity. Like, Mm he... In my thinking, I think that it was just one hell of a coincidence Mm -hmm. and that maybe Chris Yoon, the second one, the bad one, did have a reservation and they pulled up the good Chris Yoon's and just, I don't know, just a hell of a coincidence. Yeah. Because it sounds like he had plans on coming down anyway. I don't know. So. Weird. We don't, I mean, there's theories out there that he hacked into the good Chris Yoon's email system. And I'm like, to what end though? That seems... Because he was using his name. Yeah. So. You think you'd just like try and pick somebody completely different. So that's the, that's so was the theory he, on that. So was he arrested for it? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> um, so he was arrested for this. Um. Because they had enough information at yeah. this point. He had put himself, uh, you know, obviously at one point they knew Marcus was the last one to see her alive. But then he implicated himself as him being the last one that saw her alive. Mm-hmm. So they um, they were they were able to arrest him as soon as, you know, he got the attorney. And while he was waiting for his trial, he pleaded guilty um, and got 18 years. Plea deal. So... That happened, I think it happened 2014. Okay. Um, and he was arrested about two weeks after the murder had happened. So it happened pretty quickly. And um, so he is serving out 18 years here in, in, in Oregon. Got it. Okay. 
Isn't that crazy? That's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a uh, one thing that I will say is that when I was looking this up, I don't like how the media portrayed her. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was doing what she was doing to make ends meet, what have you. Right. But all, uh, not all, but most of the headlines read escort dies yeah. in Portland Hotel. Escort this, escort that. But I think it cannot be completely dismissed that maybe Ashley was a victim of sex trafficking. Since that is a huge issue in Portland. Right. And it may not seem like it because she was going up there alone, but that's what these people condition women to do mm-hmm. is, you know, they, they're, they I don't know, even, I don't even want to begin that, but it's, she was probably. There's a probably, lot more psychology involved in this than. Right. Yeah. Than that. So, and, and I mean, it goes as far as, like we said, this, you know, Marcus guy possibly being what they categorize as a Romeo pimp and disguising their their abusive relationship how do i want to say this as an actual loving relationship yeah and and misusing that to his advantage now more recently there was information found that one of ashley's ex-boyfriends was also probably exploiting her sexually Mm. because while he was in jail there is records of phone calls and emails of him asking her to put money on her books and he would make sure that she had job to do that. And it all coincided with every time that she put money in the books, every time that there was a call made to his registered phone number on backpage.com. Oh boy. So this goes deep. This goes deeper. And so I don't think that it's fair for the media to call her an escort. I mean, technically, maybe, but it goes deeper than that. Yeah. I think Ashley, you know, unfortunately was a victim of sex trafficking. And on top of that, Mm -hmm. there was this guy who fell madly in love, almost to the point of obsession with her. Clearly, yeah. And... That was ultimately, you know, what led to her death. So yep. a lot of things, not just her um, being not just an escort. Because I don't think she was choosing yeah. to be a sex worker. Yeah, so. it doesn't sound like it. Right. So that's the story of Ashley Benson here in Portland, Oregon. The two Chris Younes. Wild. Crazy, crazy story. Yeah. So... If you have any crazy stories, Kenzie. you can email us <laughs> and you can email us at a stranger danger podcast at gmail.com. You can go over to our Instagram page where we will be posting all the photos that Patina showed me during this episode at a stranger danger podcast. You can find us on Facebook at stranger danger colon a true crime podcast and if you don't have itunes if you use a different platform you can always leave us a nice review on facebook you can also follow and retweet us on twitter (laughs) at sd true crime pod thank you so much you guys thanks guys bye